Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Why am I attracted to this? It's the title of today's show. Yes, of course, it was first written in a notebook. Who knows how long ago? I'm sitting here and I'm staring at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. I'm staring at 14 notebooks. That's just without looking hard. Yeah, my favorite notebook, reporter notebooks. Probably followed by some version of a moleskin and then the little field notes. I'm sure I've done a show about these notebooks. I'm a rabid fan of notebooks and note-taking. Why am I attracted to this? That's the question I wrote down. Oh, by the way, hi, my name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Glad that you're here. First time here? Well, a special welcome to you. Check out the website, leaningtowardwisdom.com. The tagline tells you everything you need to know. Modern tales of an ancient pursuit. There is a Facebook group. You can join that if you want. There's a link at the website. Again, leaningtowardwisdom.com. Selfishness. Uh, It is in all of us. Some of us surrender to it more easily than others. Some of us battle harder against it than others. And yet still, it seems like selfishness just wins way more than it should. Young, old, guys, gals, doesn't matter. Just doesn't matter. It is not the sole purview of kids or old people. All of us are smitten with selfishness. It's why the Lord told people who would follow him and become disciples that unless they surrendered their own self-will, can't be my disciple. Matthew 16, 26, among other places, then Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That proverbial cross that we all have to take up. Yeah, that that's not your job. It's not some special circumstance that only applies to you. That is a proverbial universal cross that everybody's got to take up. And that is, well, if you're going to be a Christian, it's the cross of self-denial. It's universal. It's required of anybody who would love God. And it's not easy. Worth it? Well, of course it's worth it. But it's not easy. I'm a big fan of young people. I'm a big fan of kids. I'm a big fan of children. Okay, babies, maybe not so much. (laughs) And even though I'm old now, I can remember being a kid. I'm very empathetic with the challenges and the struggles, especially of teenagers and college-age kids. You know, life goes from playing with matchbox cars as a little kid to being a teenager struggling to figure out, well, now what? Now what? I mean, the smallest things can seem enormous when you're a kid, right? A test, homework, that girl that you're interested in. Youth, like age, is filled with drama, 
a whole lot of drama and largely because of our focus and you know where the focus is. Yeah, that's right. The focus it's on us. It happens because, well, we feel like we're the center of the universe. So, (laughs) so much pain stems from our self-centeredness. You would think that we would more easily and more quickly learn. Yeah, but see the part of the curse of selfishness is that it perpetuates itself. It grows. And then we just attempt to feed it more. I don't know. I mean, what are we thinking? Are we thinking that we're going to satisfy it? Really? You've never been able to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. And your selfishness is no different than mine. It knows no bounds. There are always new heights. Well, okay. Maybe new depths to our selfishness. It's deadly. It's super deadly. One of the dangers to me is it, it doesn't feel deadly. It does. It doesn't feel dangerous, even though it is. And it doesn't seem like selfishness, you know, to be self-focused and concerned mostly with ourselves. It does not feel the same as being selfish. In fact, very few of us would say, well, I'm self-focused translation. I'm selfish. We, we don't think of them as being synonymous, even though they mostly are. We step back and we closely examine it. And maybe we, in those moments, maybe we see it for what it truly is. I don't know. Maybe we don't. Why am I attracted to this is a question that was written in a notebook. And here's the context. Why do you like what you like preferences? Why do you prefer what you prefer? Why are you attracted to this friend? Why are you attracted to this relationship? Why are you attracted to this behavior? Why are you attracted to this activity? Why are you attracted to that choice? This scripture, you know, is filled with admonition to guard one's heart. That is to protect your mind. Now we don't do this very well at all. But we could do that partly by concerning ourselves with the people in our life, the people that we associate with. These associations matter. Who your friends are, it matters. In Proverbs thirteen twenty, Solomon, the wise man, he wrote, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Well, every parent knows this. It's why we urge our children when they're just in elementary school, pick your friends wisely. We want our kids hanging out with the kids that aren't always in trouble, aren't always sent to the principal's office. Try to keep up with their schoolwork and at least give some semblance of effort to making good grades. Kids that behave in class, kids that are respectful of the teacher and adults and authority figures. I mean, that's who we want our kids hanging out with. Why? Because that's who we want our kids to be. We don't want our kids to be that kid. Who's always sent to the principal's office. Who's always in trouble. Well, those words of Solomon are divine inspired. They're God breathed words, but mortal men have picked up on this truth. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Your life is determined by whom surrounds you. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. On and on it goes. The various quotes by 
some famous and maybe some not so famous people who have made the observation that the people in your life, yeah, they kind of matter. They really matter. Companions matter, but so do the activities that we engage in. So do the decisions that we make, especially those decisions that we make consistently. That's why I jotted down the question, why am I attracted to this? I wasn't, I didn't write the question just in the sense of somebody that might catch your romantic eye, although that's not excluded, but I'm really using it in a very broad sense of the things that we prefer, the things that we lean into, and that includes people, friends, acquaintances, choices, decisions, actions, activities, viewpoints. I mean, honestly, everything just includes everything that we like, everything that we prefer, everything that we lean towards saying yes to some people, some things, some viewpoints, some activities, some actions, decisions, and choices, and acquaintances, and friends, and people, they're destructive. Others, they're not. And still others, under the right conditions, could be. I'm thinking of, well, food. Food isn't destructive. It's vital. I mean, without it, you're going to die. However, it can become destructive when we select the wrong kinds of food or in the wrong quantities. (laughs) Gluttony is sinful. It's also destructive to our health. Fasting, science has proven, depriving ourselves of food for a period of time, it can be very beneficial. But we do have to have food in order to live. Smoking, on the other hand, is destructive, period. Under no circumstance is smoking good for you. Unlike food, it is always destructive. Food can be destructive. Smoking is destructive. Marital fidelity, always wise, always good, period. Under no circumstance is marital infidelity good. Being true to our marriage vow is always good. I'm not saying all marriages are good. But betraying our marriage vows never makes a bad marriage better, right? Some things are simply right and they're good, period. Other things they're not. And then some things like my food example could be good, could be bad, depends on the context. I'm fascinated by the people, the things, and the situations that we find attractive. More personally, I'm fascinated by the things I find attractive in previous episodes. I've talked about those folks who love to climb mountains. No, you're not going to find me on a mountain. Well, you might, but I'm not going to be climbing one. I mean, not only am I not attracted to it, I'm afraid of it, but there are people that are not afraid at all, or if they are afraid, they are far less afraid than they are attracted to go do it. And so it goes. We're not all the same. Whenever I encounter somebody who loves or is attracted to something that I'm not, I'm, if I've got the opportunity, I'm, I'm inquisitive to find out exactly what is it about that that you find attractive. You know, some young lady, she finds a young man attractive And I look at this young man and I think, you know, I mean, to me, he looks pretty stinking dangerous. 
<laughs> and she can't maybe explain why she finds him attractive. And the more we talk, the more I urge her to quantify it. If she can turns out the thing that I see. Yeah. She sees it too. He looks dangerous. I just don't happen to find danger attractive. Well, it turns out she does. Well, okay then. <laughs> okay. Then we have our answer. Why am I attracted to this? I've recently been having a few technical issues here inside the yellow studio. Most notably, I, my, well, my only computer at this point, a 2014, a late 2014 Apple 27 inch iMac. So here I've got a computer that's going on eight years old. Uh, it was state of the art at the time. You know, it's got an Intel i7 quad core processor, lots of RAM, one terabyte hard drive. I mean, it was quite the machine back in the day, but that was then. This is now. I bought the very first Mac computer in 1984. It was over $3,000. It didn't even have a hard drive built into it. I have been leaning on Apple Mac computers ever since. So I'm clearly a Mac guy. But I've got friends, and they would not give Apple $1. They wouldn't, they, they, not for an iPhone, which I'm also a fan of, not for an iPad, which I also own, certainly not for an Apple Mac, which I'm clearly fond of. I mean, they are repulsed by things that I find extraordinarily attractive and not much, but sometimes I'll waste my breath talking to them about, you know, the Apple Mac ecosystem that I've been part of for almost four decades. I mean, I've got all this software. I've got all this workflow that I have relied on for years and years. And just from a logical perspective, if you try, and I get that it'd be a big effort to just try to set aside, maybe my proclivity, my fondness of Apple and just the style and the way they operate. I've got such an investment in the workflow and the software to have to ditch that and replace that with windows based software and relearn other. And I realize I might be wasting my time when I'm trying to explain all that to them so that they've got some better understanding of how reliant I am on this ecosystem. I mean, if you just take my love of music and I'm, I'm reliant on Apple iTunes. I have ripped most of my CD collection into Apple iTunes. This is now a library because I'm in the ecosystem with Apple. I can access on my phone anytime I want, right? I mean, I've got this Apple match thing or whatever it is. It's like 24 bucks a year. Everything on my Apple library, my iTunes library, my wife and I both on our separate phones, we can access anywhere. I don't have to tie up space on the phone for all this music. Well, I got news for you. That's worth the price of admission for me right there. Just as because of all the music I listen to. Now, these people that are anti Apple, they'll likely tell me how stupid I am for paying the Apple tax. That's just a snarky way to talk about that premium price tag. That's required by most things that do have that Apple logo on it. Well, my current 27 inch iMac, 
I've almost always, by the way, with Apple products and Apple computers, particularly, I've gotten lots of years of great use. I have not yet had an Apple Macintosh, including that very first one that I didn't keep and hang on to and get years and years and years of use out of it. I mean, just months ago, maybe two months ago, three at the most, I had to abandon my longtime iPhone six plus again, we're talking circa 2014, had this phone since 2014 worked like a champ. I did have to, I had a battery recall, so I had to have that replaced. Uh, but it finally, it started getting really glitchy and giving me a hard time. And I mean, come on, it was a 2014 phone. And so late last year, I opted in favor of a newer iPhone 13 mini. I'm not the guy who's buying the brand new, latest, greatest thing. I'm a guy who's, I mean, come on, you can tell I, I had a phone since 2014, seven years plus out of a phone or a computer. I just don't think that's anything to sneeze at here. But the point is this, I find Apple products attractive. So much so that I am willing to invest premium money into them because I expect them because historically they always have, I expect them to last years and years and years. And I, I absolutely get more than my money's worth out of them. Does everybody, I don't know. I'm not speaking for everybody. I'm just speaking for myself. Now I've got a few friends that are gamers. Now, those of you that are into gaming, you wouldn't be caught dead lusting for an Apple computer because I'm smart enough to know, yeah, they're not, they're not great at gaming. And even though I'm not a gamer, I understand. I get it. It is not Apple's strength. Fact is, it is a weakness. But you know what? Apple just doesn't seem to care because Apple doesn't seem to be targeting that market. You and I both know they're smart enough. They're big enough. They're powerful enough. If they wanted to attack that market, they would. But they don't. And so gamers, they're going to lust after machines with names like Alienware or Corsair or uh, ROG Republic of gamers. I get it. I completely get it. And so I look at myself when it comes to this aspect of technology and okay, well, is that selfish? Not really. I mean, not really. Is it self-interest? Yeah, it is self-interest, which is okay. In this context, we're talking about people buying whatever tech best suits them. I do podcasting. I do some video editing. I do all the other usual kind of business activity and the ecosystem and the software that I'm used to using and have been used to using for a long, long time. It just, it suits me and I like it. And it's not that I'm anti-tech. I'm very technically savvy and I have owned laptops, PC windows based laptops before I have owned windows based computers before, but I've always also had a Mac and I've mostly done it when I had some kind of an ERP, some kind of an enterprise system because of my work that I would have to have because a lot of that stuff back in the day, you really needed to be in the windows ecosystem for some of that stuff to play nicely. So I would have that for logging into various work things. And then I had the Mac for virtually everything else I did. 
No, here's what is selfish. A husband, a dad who buys a $7,000 gaming computer and a monitor set up when seven grand represents a big investment for his family. I mean, if you're Mark Cuban, that doesn't, it's nothing, right? Who cares? I mean, he's got that in the right-hand pocket of his jeans. Uh, but seven grand for me, that's a big number. That's a big number. I ain't spending anything. Well, I got news for you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a hundred bucks without talking to my wife, but that's me. You know, it's not the technology that's at fault. Rather, it's the selfish behavior of a dad, a husband who's a gamer. And he's just, he's wanting to lavish something on himself even though it's beyond what he and his family can afford. Okay. Yeah. Now we're we're not, it's got nothing to do with the technology. Now he's just attracted to what he's attracted to because he wants what he wants and he wants it now. And that's where this whole notion of what we find attractive kind of got my mind reeling. And as I keep thinking about it, it keeps my mind reeling as I observe decisions, including some of my own that just seem idiotic. I've, I've reviewed, listen, if you live as long as me, you review some decisions that you've made and you just think, okay, what was I thinking? And even if you go back and you, you're able to recall what you were thinking, you're like, I don't, how did, how in the world did I think that was going to work out? Right. I mean, sometimes we're just morons and yet we can look back and we can think, well, you know, but it made, it seemed to make some sense and there seemed to be some reason for it. Yeah. But you keep peeling that onion back and you realize, you know, here's what made sense. I wanted it because I wanted it. And for me, it still comes back down to, okay. Yeah. It was just, it was selfish. You know, through the years I've spent countless hours with young people, particularly high school, college age kids talking with them about their challenges and their difficulties and their opportunities. And every young person, every young person suffers the same thing, just like we did when we were young. And just like we do now that we're old, if indeed we are self-centeredness, self-centeredness, because come on, when we're kids, it's all about us, right? I mean, our perspective is self-focused. Now, over, over time you get married and you have a family and you have a career and they're just life imposes on you a bit more. And I think makes it a little bit more difficult for you to be so self-focused, but when you're a kid, you don't have all that, right? You're, you're, you're reasonably free from adult responsibilities. And so that time and that time with yourself and that time focused on yourself and focused on what you want and all the times that mom and dad are telling, you no, and you're like, yeah, but I want the answer to be yes. I'm sick and tired of this. No business life experience, parents and others. They influence us. They teach us over time that we're not the center of the universe. Now, yes, you and I both know there are some really narcissistic adults out there. They think they are the center of the world, man. I feel badly for these people. I do. I honestly do life and experience and parents and adults and old people. I I mean, they just, for whatever reason, I won't say they weren't taught it, but I can honestly say they didn't learn it. 
I think some people, there were attempts to teach them. I don't know why don't have an answer for it because all of us, I think we have these moments. Hopefully that's all they are. You know, we have these narcissistic moments, these self-centered moments, you know, for some of us, it's the biggest disappointment in life <laughs> learning. Wait a minute. What do you mean? I'm not the center of the universe. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The whole world doesn't revolve around me and what I want and what I prefer. Wait a minute. This is not at all what I thought life was going to be. You know, every kid has come to the realization, you know what? You were fretting about this and that and the other. Guess what? There's a whole world out there. My co-host over at Hot Springs Village Inside Out. You can find that at hsvinsideout.com. Uh, Dennis, uh, we were talking about. Well, the, the phrase that came to my mind, and I told him I can attribute it to a Paul Simon song, and I should look that up and see what song contains it. In fact, you know what? Let's just do that here, live on the fly, shall we? Um, I'd never heard the phrase before. It is the Paul Simon song. Well, hello, that's the title of the song. One man's ceiling is another man's floor. That song, when did that song come out? Let's see if we can find out. Uh, I first heard that song whenever it came out. Yeah, I don't see it. No matter. I was a kid. I mean, I was, I was a teen. And I'd never heard that phrase before. And I still, I haven't done research, so I can't tell you who came up with it. Um, that was on the album, There Goes Ryman Simon, 1973. You do know 1974 was the best year for music, don't you? <laughs> now, there are a lot of people that would tell you 1964 because of the Beatles, but okay. I was, how old was I? I was seven. Uh, 1973, there goes Ryman Simon, Paul Simon. Um, I, I, Paul Simon is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. But my first foray into hearing that phrase, one man's seedling is another man's floor, was that song by Paul Simon. Never heard it before. And ever since hearing that song, I've been captivated and kind of fascinated by the truthful reality of that. I was telling Dennis was having a conversation not long ago and for some reason back in the 80s people used to talk about their number well, what's your number and what they meant was well what's your you know that number that that number you'd need to walk away that retirement number your ideal number it wasn't necessarily i don't hear that much anymore but boy back in the 80s it was a big deal and we were all young and people were i remember guys saying oh well i'd need at least i need at least three million dollars and you're like, okay, why? Well, they couldn't tell you. They just, it sounded like a good number. Other people would say, well, a million dollars, at least a million dollars. And then you go researching here. We are this many years later and you go researching, you realize, you realize how few people have $3 million. You realize how few people have a million dollars. I mean, they may have assets worth a million dollars, but I mean, I'm talking about, I got a million bucks sitting over here. I got my life and then I got a million bucks sitting over here. It's, it's, it's rare air. 
I just kind of kept my mouth shut and I'm listening to this conversation. And, and I finally, I did, I did say this. I said, you, you guys realize now Mark Cuban is a local guy here in Dallas owns the Dallas Mavericks, right? A billionaire, multi-billionaire. And I said, you do realize that all of us combined, and there were three of us, all three of us combined, we could take our very best year of income and it would represent of annual income. The three of us combined, and you realize that that sum total for us, and we would go, that was a good year. If Mark Cuban made that amount of money in a single day, you do realize he'd be ready to blow his brains out. I mean, he would be so despondent. He would feel like a colossal failure. <laughs> One man's ceilings, another man's floor. Big time. Big time. It's all relative. Which does bring up the point to our subject and our question of the hour. Why am I attracted to this? And to be truthful enough to ask yourself, are you attracted to it because you feel like you should be? Are you attracted to it because other people are? I mean, why is three million? Why would the guy say three million bucks? I need three million bucks. That's my number. He couldn't quantify it, by the way. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to, what would you do with it? And of course, after rattling off a few, you know, kind of selfish things like, I don't remember, play golf, whatever. Really couldn't think of much. And of course I, I got pressed. Well, what's yours? And I'm like, I don't, I don't have one. I mean, and if I did, you'd all be stunned at how low it is. <laughs> I mean, I, cause I'm not thinking about the number I'm thinking about. What do I want the number to get me? What, what am I, what am I really pursuing here? We're pulling out of the church parking lot. And one of the guys, the car, the SUV had a little bit of a stumble in the starter. And finally got it started. And, you know, it's got a hundred and some odd miles on it. It's a decade old. It looks great. He's like, yeah, I got to, I need to fix that. You know, I said, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, you're not trying to impress anybody anyway, are you? And he's like, no. And I said, exactly. Cause I know how he rolls. He rolls like I roll, like a number of us roll, you know, no, I mean, he ain't driving what he's driving for anybody else. He's driving it. Cause you know, he's got a reasonably big family and he needs the room and it's fine. It's got a hundred and something thousand miles on it and it, it stays maintained. Okay. Yeah. It needs a starter right now, but you know how many people have got a brand new hundred thousand dollar vehicle in their driveway or garage because well, they're attracted to that. I mean, cause come on, you gotta, you gotta look the part, right? I mean, you can't let the neighbors, you can't let the neighbors see you driving in a 2010 anything, can you? Sure you can. Sure you can. Why am I attracted to this? And does what, does it really matter what other people think? I get it. Believe me, I get it. Uh, the older I've gotten, the, I still get it, but I also get this. I came to the realization when I was a young guy that, you know, until somebody is writing me checks and paying my bills, I'm not much interested in what they think. Right. I mean, well, you need, you ought to buy this and you ought to buy that. Well, that's give me a check. 
give me a check and I'll, I might think about going and buying that, but unless you're paying for it, you know, probably best. You just let me live my life, right? Yes, of course. But then when it comes to living our life, why are, why are we attracted to what we're attracted to? I'm sitting here and I'm surrounded by books and music. I'm sitting here in the yellow studio. Well, and then there's that I get asked really regularly yellow. Why yellow? Well, here's the backstory. You remember that TV show house? You know, he was the fancy smancy diagnostician, kind of a doctor R- really, really rough around the edges, but he was brilliant. Well, he had a boss. Her name was Cuddy C U D D Y Dr. Cuddy. She was like the hospital administrator. They would cut to her office and her office, the walls in her office were like French's mustard yellow. I thought I, when I first saw the show, I'm like, I really, I like her office. I like the walls of her office. That's where it started. I'd never had a room with yellow walls. I do now. I do now. Thanks to my wife and a friend of ours at church, a lady, they came and painted this room when I took it over. It used to be Rhonda's sewing room. She outgrew it. Imagine that. Cause guess what she's attracted to? Yeah. She's attracted to sewing, sewing. She's got this mug. What does it say? Sewing keeps me sane. And I thought it was me. I'm so disappointed. I thought she was mostly attracted to me for sanity. Turns out not true, (laughs) not true. So the yellow studio is yellow because I'm attracted to it. Now I know other people, you know, how do you sit in a room that is painted yellow? Well, because it's bright and sunny and I love it. I absolutely love it. I got Ballard street cartoons surrounding me. I love it. I got a few Herman. I love that too. Far side. Love those too. I know other people. They don't care one thing about that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. I got books. I'm surrounded by books. I love books. I do have, I'm staring at a big Hootis thing full of CDs. I don't play them anymore because I already told you I ripped them into Apple iTunes, but I love music and there they are. They're there every day. I I see the names and the titles on the spines of these CDs that are on display on this carousel that holds three to 4,000 CDs. And yes, it's full and there are CDs stacked on top of it. I got these baseballs over here to my left. Those of you that paid any attention, I haven't done this in a while. You know, I go walk in the early, early morning hours and there's some baseball fields not too far from the house, a park. And I go walk and, and, you know, there's balls over the fence all the time. And I would collect them, bring them back. I've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of baseballs. Here's the thing. I don't like baseball. <laughs> it just got to be a game. Okay. How many can I collect? And I've given my son whose kids play baseball. I, I don't know. I know I've given him a hundred or more and I've still got hundreds of them. They're sitting over here. You know, why am I attracted to this? I, I don't know. I know about the books and the music and the yellow and the Ballard street and the cartoons, but the baseballs, I, 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 it just became a game. It became kind of this quest of, I wonder how many I can find today. My record 18, 
18. I found 18 in one walk one morning. That that's a record that's probably not going to get broken. <laughs> I can look at most things, you know, and if you, if you read or you study organization and, and minimalism, you'll hear, and you'll read a lot about joy that the things that you have in your life, the possessions that you have, don't be possessed by your possessions. You need to possess them. And the way that you can best do that is you need to judge how much joy a particular thing brings into your life. I'm not saying I fully agree with that, but I, I, I understand it. And there is an element of joy in all of the aforementioned things. There's an element of joy in Apple products, for instance. But I'm not going to make the investment because of joy, just joy. Or am I? I don't know. It's an interesting debate. I like yellow. Okay, well, walls have to be painted some color. I, I, there are people that I, well, Rhonda, she loves lavender. Now, we don't have any lavender walls, but could she have a sewing room whose walls were painted lavender? I bet you she could. Would she? I don't know. I don't know if that would be the most attractive thing to her or not, but it might. Well, and, I, why, and I would care because? That's a question that I write a lot. It's a question I ask a lot and I think a lot. And this impacts me how? So my neighbor goes and buys a brand new $80,000 car and I'm envious. I'm not. And he didn't, but if he did, and if I were, why his buying a brand new car affects me, how his not buying a brand new car, his driving an old car affects me, how, well, it doesn't affect me at all. But boy, do we let it? Yes, of course we let it. Of course we let it. True story. I, I get asked uh, the podcast Hot Springs Village Inside Out. And we've got a demographic that's kind of my, my peer group, right? Lar largely older folks, more mature people, experienced people, we'll call them. And occasionally I would get messages and I would, I would get feedback and people would inquire, for instance, how to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Now, these are people that clearly understand how to click play a play button on a YouTube channel, but it's not, they're not sitting around subscribing to a bunch of YouTube channels. And so I post in our group over on Facebook, I posted how to subscribe to our YouTube channel. <laughs> and some people just can't help themselves. Right. And it's like, okay, well, if you're, if that doesn't apply to you and if you don't care, okay, then you just move on. Right. Which is what I think most of us do. Well, in this world of social media, not everybody does that. So, you know, one smart Alex got to get on there and he, here's what he types. No, thanks. Now this is our group. He's in our group. He's a listener to the podcast. Well, I assume he is. He may not be. And if he's not, then I, I'm certainly not going to cry about it. If he's not, 
In fact, I'm rather hopeful that he doesn't listen. Uh, but I'm sitting here thinking, you know, you just post about how to subscribe to a, a, a YouTube channel and the, the first person to comment says, no, thanks. And then somebody else likes it. And of course I've learned a long time ago, some people, they just click like on everything. They, they don't even pay attention to what they're liking. And I'm like, okay, really? So I let it sit there for a while. And of course, yeah, you know me, I couldn't leave it alone. <laughs> and so I just typed, well, aren't you just a ray of sunshine? And then I did the, you know, the wink, the wink emoji to which he played the God card, right? So he's like, he's going to trump me. This is when I went quiet and he's just, he said, thank you. May God bless you. And I'm like, yeah, okay, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy's, this, this guy's just a Royal creep and this is how he's going to play it. Okay. Some people do. This is the way some people behave. I don't begin to understand it. I'm sorry. I don't. It's just. It's just selfishness at the highest order. It's social media ninnies. Come on. And we, we are all surrounded by them. You do know I own surrounded by ninnies.com, don't you? Well, now you do. Ninnies is spelled N-I-N-N-I-E-S, by the way. Surrounded by ninnies.com. Go ahead. Check it out. Um, Why am I attracted to this? Why is he attracted? Why is this person attracted to take some innocuous post in a group that is a group of loyal listeners and fans of a podcast? And there's almost 2000 people in this group, by the way. And you just post how to subscribe to the YouTube. If you want to subscribe, here's how you do it. No, thanks. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's it's I'm fascinated by it though. I'm fascinated by it. What was was it Goodall who studied the gorillas? Yeah, I don't forget studying gorillas, man. Let's just study humans. Uh gorillas probably are more polite, but um but gorillas didn't develop social media, so we got them beat, right? Yeah, we've one upped them yet again. <laughs> Good for us. Good for us. Why am I attracted to this? And of course, as always, I've buried the lead. The The most important thing for me is why am I, some of the things that aren't in my best interest might not be destructive, but they're certainly not the most beneficial things. Yep. It could include lifestyle. It can, it could include health and fitness and diet and Anything else? Why am I attracted to this? Over the weekend, I began to reread a little bit about Graham Parsons. Graham Parsons, for those of you that don't know, Graham Parsons was a, he was a guy, he, he died at 26. Largely responsible, posthumously, the album Grievous Angel was released. And was really responsible in a lot of ways, I think, for the alternative country or alt country we used to call it alt country think early eagles think poco think buffalo springfield think flying burrito brothers of whom graham parsons was a member by the way 
um, think birds. And Graham Parsons and that record, in my opinion, had a big influence on what would become kind of more of an alternative country or alt country movement. And I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. You know, but here's a guy, 26 years old, and fought alcohol and drugs. Um, mom died, alcoholism. And I, I just started going down this bunny trail of other musicians and people who had succumbed to that kind of stuff. I, I started reading about, you know, Jerry Rafferty. Remember the song Baker Street? So Jerry Rafferty, a Scottish guy, and that was the big, man, that was the big record for him. Um, just battled alcohol, alcohol and drugs until it killed him. Uh, so many have fallen by the wayside, and you're like, what are they attracted to? What are they attracted to? And so many people among us are attracted to destructive things. Just this past weekend here in Colleyville, Texas, which is just north of where I'm at in Dallas-Fort Worth, we had this Jewish synagogue, and this bomber comes in. Uh, I guess he, he, he threatened that he had bombs attached to himself, and I assume he probably did, but I don't know. Um, takes hostages, including the rabbi there. And, uh, it, it escalated and it, it was a hairy, it was a hairy circumstance for hours and hours and hours. Uh, some elite team is flown in from Washington, DC. Um, they overtake the building. They rescue the three remaining hostages, kill him. And, you know, I, I, I get as much as I can, I, I get some of the, the bias and the, I don't know the right word for it. Um, the delusion is the word for it. You know, the delusion that some of these people suffer and I'm like, well, how's this a good idea? And what do these people have to do with it anyway? I mean, the demands that he was making for some prisoner or some woman to be released from a Fort Worth-based federal penitentiary, that that wasn't going to happen. He, he wasn't going to facilitate that. But, uh, you know, you get in his head, I guess he just had it worked out. And for whatever reason, then on Saturday, this past Saturday, this is the thing that is most attractive to him. And we can look at those kinds of situations and we can think, yeah, but that's, you know, come on, that's just a whole nother level of bizarreness. And I don't mean to compare whatever our bizarreness is to that level of bizarreness, certainly not when it comes to violence and putting other people in danger. But when it comes to just sheer delusion, I mean, are any of us really immune? I don't know that we are. Now, notwithstanding, I realize there are mental health issues, and these are very real. I do not believe these are contrived. Uh, I believe these are very difficult things. I think they can be really difficult things to understand. They may be difficult things to diagnose, and they certainly appears to me to be difficult things to treat because when you see the world, you see the world, and you just that is your reality. 
but what if it's not real? What if it's not real? What if I'm attracted to certain things because I think about them in one context, but that context that I'm thinking about them is not real? What if it's just not real? But I think it is. You know, the little boy, sixth sense, everywhere he looks, he sees dead people. What if he's really not? What if he's not seeing dead people? What if he is seeing dead people? I mean, you know, it's just, it's this whole fact and fiction kind of a thing. And how, how can you know? You ever talk to somebody who's had some major eye work done? I don't know. Maybe somebody, they had glaucoma, they had bad cataracts, and then they had lens replacement. And all of a sudden it's like, man, you know, man, I'm seeing things. I'm seeing colors that I, I, it's been so long since I saw that color. I can't, you know, and the vivid sharpness of my, I, I think sometimes those things that we can be attracted to rightly or wrongly. I think can fall in that same kind of a, don't you think I can be attracted to things because I see it a certain way, but okay. I, I don't have, I don't have whatever the, the eyeglass technology or the lens technology to see it clearly. And of course, for me, the big, big thing is things are not always as they appear. And that's a big shock. Uh, Rhonda and I started watching a, a, a series this, and it was, I think we're, well, we're in the first season. It was 2017 and the series is it's on Hulu. It's called Cardinal. You seen this thing? Evidently there's a series of novels about a man named John Cardinal. Well, he's, um, he's a detective, a homicide detective up in Canada. It turns out, you know, he's. He's under this secret investigation. There's somebody who's kind of got it in for him, and they've planted another another police officer to be his partner in hopes that they can catch him. And you know, they just think they've got it all figured out. They've just got it all figured out. You know, he's a bad cop. He's not a bad cop in that he's a bad detective, but he's a bad cop in that he's on the take. Turns out he's not on the take turns out this there's this whole other story and it's not one that you would think for a million years would be the story but it turns out there's a reason he's behaving the way he's behaving there's a reason he's doing what he's doing and it's not at all the reason that you think but then you can look at it and you can think yeah but it's easy to see how they could think what they're thinking yep it is easy to see it until you understand that they've got it completely wrong. And it is why I kind of have my progression. Well, I call it a progression of leadership, although it's really not so much a progression anymore. It's more of just kind of an endless loop thing. And it's very simply this. It starts with humility. If you don't have humility, then you don't have curiosity. And if you don't have humility, then selfishness is going to overtake your life. So it begins with humility, particularly enough humility for me to remain curious because you know who the least curious people in the room are, don't you? Yeah. Smartest guy in the room, smartest gal in the room. They're not curious. They've already got all the answers. They already know everything. They've got it all figured out. The rest of us are, we're just in their way. Yep. They are the center of the universe. You guessed it. They are colossally selfish. So humility fosters curiosity. Well, guess what? Guess what 
curiosity will do for us. When satisfied, it will give us knowledge. It will give us knowledge that we didn't have before. And guess what that does for us kids? That gives us understanding. So in Cardinal, the woman who's investigating him, fully convinced he's a dirty cop on the take, she finds out the truth. She gains some knowledge. She talks to some people, and they shed some light on some things, and all of a sudden she figures out, we've got this all wrong. This is not at all what's happening here. He is not a dirty cop. He is a great cop. Understanding. And once we gain understanding, then kids, we can, we can reach then for the pinnacle of it all. And the pinnacle of it all is compassion. Humility, curiosity, knowledge, understanding, compassion. Compassion is very simply a focus on others. It's the opposite of selfishness. That also happens to be the way I define leadership. It's a focus on others. Why am I attracted to this? Am I attracted to it because, well, it's just what I want, and I don't much care how it affects the family. I'm a gamer. I want that new $7,000 machine. I know we can't afford it. I know there are the things that we need, but I don't care. I want it. Well, that's not compassion. Compassion is I'd love to have it, but there ain't no way I'm going to do it. And now it's kind of summed up in a word, and the word is sacrifice. LeaningTowardWisdom.com, that's the website. Why am I attracted to this? Well, I don't know. Man, there's all kinds of answers to that, and we could have hop down on any number of bunny trails to try to figure that out. I don't know if we figured it out or not, but I don't know. We advanced the ball a little bit, didn't we? I think so. I think so. Surely we at least got out of our end of the field. Speaking of which, the Dallas Cowboys, they couldn't much do that. Hello, one and done once again. <laughs> this poor team. Why, why, why are we attracted to the Dallas Cowboys? Those of us that might be just colossally disappoint, just a disappointment year after year after year. And you know what? We're going to get up and do it all over again next year too. (laughs) I'm glad you listened. Check out the website, join the Facebook group. If you dare, My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio.